in today's two verses, Mark 2, 21 and 22. Remember where we are. Jesus is being confronted by the religious leaders as He often is. And, and He answers their question about why is He not fasting, Him and His disciples. Remember that? Jesus, why are you eating with sinners? Why are you not fasting like the rest of us holy people? And He answers them with a few parables. He talked about the, the bridegroom and the groomsmen. Remember, it's like they're not going to fast at the wedding because Jesus, the groom, is there. Today we look at the other two parables He used to describe and explain that. And He simply tells them in these two verses, <clears throat> very simply this, that God is the God of new things. And Jesus is saying, I bring the new. For what I am bringing you cannot mix with the old. And so therefore, He teaches them in parables, as He often does. Even if you recognize in the Gospels towards the end of His ministry, the end of His life, He teaches almost exclusively in parables. But here He begins His ministry teaching them that you cannot mix the old with the new. This has so much application for us, church, and many implications. So we will leave here, I believe, if we pray and ask the Lord that we would be changed, that as it says in Romans, that our minds would be renewed studying His Word. So let's read it now as we are reminded that God is the God of new things. This is Mark chapter 2. As we study Jesus on the way, the way of Jesus, it says this. Again, this is Jesus' answer to the religious leaders, the scribes, who said, why don't you and your followers fast? Jesus says, well, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, and the new from the old, and then a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. That's what our focus is this morning, church. That last phrase, new wine is for fresh wineskins. What I'd like to do is start with this. We just read our passage for today. I would like to show you a series of scriptures from the Old and the New Testament that simply tell us that very truth, that God is the God of new things. So let's do that together. You can go into your Bible. We're going to move rather quickly through them. They'll be up on the screen for you. So if you want to just write the references, but here they are. And look at all of these scriptures in light of the fact that Jesus is telling the religious leaders, I have come to bring something new, brand new. Now they wanted, and some, even believers, wanted to mix the old ways, the old law, with what Jesus brought, which was grace. And he said no. Even the Apostle Paul, we read in Acts, said that is a false gospel. So look at these Scriptures, Old and New Testament. To give us a glimpse of the nature of God being our Creator and how He loves to be a God of new things. Genesis 2.24 Remember all the way back in the garden. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God is making them a new creation. Marriage is a picture of the Gospel 
It's a picture of God making old things new. He took Adam and Eve. They were betrothed in marriage there in the garden, right? And God says, the father and the mother, they come together and make a what? A brand new family. They become one. Isaiah 43, 19. God says, behold, I am doing a new thing. He's talking to the nation Israel when He's going to remove them and and save them, rescue them from captivity. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. And now it springs forth. Don't you perceive it? He's like saying, don't you see it? Don't you know I can do it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. See, God is saying, I'm about to do a new thing. And you're going to be so blown away. That's what God is saying. Is He the same God today in our lives as He was then? Of course He is. God wants to do a new thing in our church, in our lives today. If we just remember that He is a God of the new. Psalm 98.1 Sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. Psalm 40, verse 3 He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God, so many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. We move on, right? Jesus is called the second Adam or the new Adam. Jesus gave a new commandment to do what? He says, a new commandment I give you to love one another. We know John 3.16 says you must be born again, right? That we are to be born, right? right? And so we are to be born again, He tells us in John 3. But look at 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Look at all the words that point to newness, right? His mercy makes us new. Born again, that we are made new. Living, not dead. We are new. Resurrected, no longer dead. For God brings us from darkness to light, from death to life. 1 Corinthians 11.25 It's a new covenant. It's a new testament, right? The old has gone. In the same way, also, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. Last week, we had our communion service. We took the bread and the cup. And in doing so, we remembered that Jesus brought a brand new covenant. He did not come to patch up the old. He brought something brand new. Brand new in His blood. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Maybe the one we turn to the most when we talk about being new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, Paul says, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And behold, the new has come. How much clearer can it be that God creates us as new creations? Ephesians 4 Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. That's corrupt through deceitful desires. And do what? Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. At the moment of salvation, church, we are made new. We are justified. Listen, our position before God is made new. Right? Remember we talk about that a lot. The great exchange. Jesus' righteousness is imputed onto us and our sin is imputed onto Him. And that's why He went to the cross to die for that. To put it to death. Therefore, when God sees us, 
he sees the shed blood of Christ. Therefore, we, as imperfect, can enter into the presence of the perfect and the holy. But then the rest of our lives, living out that Christian life, church, we are to daily accept the new. Recognize we are new creations. And to put off the old self. Why? Because we love to start mixing the old with the new. The more we allow to do that, the less room there is for the Spirit to lead and to guide us. Ephesians 2, 15-16 By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, meaning the law, that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby, thereby killing the hostility. That's Paul talking to the church in Ephesus, because Paul was all about church unity. He said, no more division. Let's come together and be unified. Is there not a spirit of that in our, even our country, in our world today? No more division. Right? Doesn't he say, as, as much as it, as it has to do with you, be at peace with one another? Paul wants unity in the church, because we are to exemplify that to the church. We are to be the, to the world. We are to be the example of unity. So church, we have to get it right here. Right? Because we are one body. And he says, look, there's no more Jew or Greek. There's no more Jew or Gentile in the church. We are made one. Just like in marriage. Is it not the same? God is the God of new. He's taking these two extremes and he says, this is now one new thing. The church is a brand new thing in God's sight. See that? The two become one. He says there's no more Jew and Gentile. In Christ, you are now Christians. You are believers. You are the body of Christ. No more separation. A new creation. No more division. Why? Because the law, the old, has become inoperable. It does not apply anymore. Jesus fulfilled the law. He didn't just do away with it. He came to fulfill it. So it is no longer in effect. And he's telling the new Christians, the new church, he's saying this is a brand new thing. Back in the garden, Satan divided by deceiving. But in Christ, God reconciles. You see the beauty of that? That's the story that we participate in. God is making all things new. Just like in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel... He gives a prophecy of the coming kingdom. What we would call the millennial kingdom. When, when Paul says in Romans that all Israel will be saved, that happens the end of the tribulation going into the thousand year reign of Christ on earth. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. look at these beautiful words. I, this is God speaking about Israel. I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh. And give them a heart of flesh. Is that awesome? I think that applies to us today as well. He will do that for nation Israel, His chosen people, in the future. But for us today, He wants to do that to turn our hearts of stone when we were once dead to now hearts of flesh that are beating and alive and full of life. Do you see what He's saying is embrace the new. Church, we are made new in Christ. We are new creations we are a masterpiece. Do you believe that? Do you look in the mirror every morning and say, you are a masterpiece? 
Maybe if you do it every day, maybe it gets a little too much, I don't know, but it's a reminder. It's a reminder that God created us. We are a beautiful creation in His sight and in His heart. But church, here's what it means for us. We need to live as those new people. Not mixing the old with the new. We remember our old ways. There are some parts of our old self that keep creeping back in. But God, our merciful God, He knows it and He's compassionate. So He reminds us with all these Scriptures, with the Holy Spirit within our new heart, He says, no, you're new. So that should lead us to say to our enemy and to those temptations, that's not me anymore. That's not me. That's my old self. I don't do that anymore. I don't give in to that anymore. I don't think like that anymore. I don't need to because I've been saved from being a slave to sin. Yes, we recognize that sin will creep up. We give in to temptation. We're not yet made perfect. Not in this world at least. Not until He comes back for us. We look forward to that day. But church, until then, our whole life of living out as Christians, sanctification day by day, we are to put on the new self and take off the old. Revelation 21.5 And he who is seated on the throne said these beautiful words, Behold, I am making all things new. He said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Are they not? Is not Jesus making all things new? We know at the end of all things, at the end of the millennium, at the end of His reign on earth, when, when, when Jesus finally, once and for all, defeats Satan, and all are cast into the lake, what happens? Jesus simply does this. He turns the kingdom over to the Father. We then see the new heavens and the new earth to reconcile what was lost back in the garden. Did not God promise that would, that's what would happen? When Satan came and usurped that authority from Adam and Eve to have dominion over the earth, we know that Satan today is called the God of this age, the Prince of the air. But God is always sovereign. Always, no matter what. But God said right there, He told the devil, He said, there will be enmity between you and I will bring a Redeemer, a Rescuer out of the child of the woman. And that is to be Jesus. So right there He promised it and He fulfills it. That's why Jesus came preaching. We saw in the beginning of Mark, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. I am the Messiah, Jesus is saying. The one that you've been waiting for for all of these years. But yet, He came to His own, and His own received Him not. Here's how we apply this to our lives, church. Jesus did not come to reform the old and worn out religious system, but He came to fulfill God's requirements by introducing something radically new give you two examples. He Himself would be the ultimate sacrifice for sin. The sacrificial system was made inoperable. It was no longer needed. Why? Because He was that perfect Lamb of God that John the Baptist saw and recognized to take away the sins of the world. One final sacrifice, once and for all, for us. No longer needing that sacrificial system. See, the Pharisees, the scribes that were calling Jesus out, saying, why aren't you not fasting like us? We're the holy people. You say you're a rabbi? Fast with us. Tell your disciples. Fast with us. Jesus says, why? I'm here with them. And I've not come to just kind of patch up your system and bring something new to it. 
This is a whole new thing. The Pharisees liked their old way better. They didn't want to lose sight of it. You know, when we recognize that we have been set free, in Luke 4, when Jesus reads from the scroll of Isaiah and says that He has come to set the oppressed free, that's us, spiritually, right? Are we not healed by His stripes and we are set free? The chains are gone. I've been set free. We sing it all the time. But what do we like to do, church? Little by little, there's those handcuffs that somehow we kind of feel comfortable in. and We kind of take them back on and we let the enemy kind of put them back on and before we know it, we're just walking around being slaves again and kind of acting like it, even though we're not. That's allowing the old self to creep in. The Pharisees didn't like this new way. They wanted to keep the old way. Church, let us not remain in our old way. Let's put on our new self. Also, another example in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God dwelled in the temple. Remember that? The Spirit of God didn't dwell in hearts. Some He did temporarily. God did that for special purposes. But in general, the Holy Spirit dwelled in the temple. But then Jesus came, He died and rose and ascended, so the Holy Spirit could dwell where? In our hearts. Inside of us. Are we not now called? Believers, we are called the temple of God. Is that not amazing? There used to be an actual temple where the Holy Spirit dwelled, and now we are called the temple of God. Do you look in the mirror every morning and say, you are the temple of God? But we are. We are a masterpiece, the temple of God, filled with the Spirit, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So do we want to go back to the old way? Do we want to allow other things to suppress the leading and guiding ministry of the Holy Spirit as we surrender ourselves to God and act out in obedience of Him? Then the Holy Spirit takes over control. I want to notice in our final minutes together two things in particular about our passage in Mark about the wine and the wineskins. It's the same as the patch and the cloth. First of all, look at it this way. Do you remember Jesus in His first parable right before in verse 19 and 20 He was talking about marriage? In the the wedding ceremony, He's like, hey, the, the groomsmen don't come and mourn and fast when the groom is there. It's a time of celebration. So He's still in that same motif because He's talking about fancy dress and He's talking about wine. Two things that happened at every wedding. See, back then, weddings would take about a week. Did you know that? It would be a week celebration. Do you remember where Jesus' first miracle was? The wedding at Cana. And what did his mother Mary do? She came running. It must have been a family affair. She said, Jesus, we're running out of wine. And back in that day, that was a big, what we call a faux pas. You don't do that. Because your neighbors would look at you funny. You ran out of wine? What kind of party is this? That was the idea. It was the responsibility of the host family to keep that wine flowing for a whole week. Can you imagine? So his first miracle, he even said, Mother, it's not the right time. But what did Jesus do? He turned the water into wine, but the best of the wine. And the host was just amazed. I can't believe it. But he saved the best wine for last. But Jesus did that. Why? Because wine is symbolic of joy. And symbolic of celebration. So Jesus tells this parable to people that would know exactly what he's talking about. He says, you can't put new wine in old wineskins. Here's why. A wineskin, we maybe think of it like a, a little satchel or a thermos or something, and it was made out of goat skin. And they would take the goat skin, very supple, right, and they would stitch it together, and there'd be sort of a spout. 
and it would be brand new and elastic so it could expand. So they put new wine in it that has not yet been fermented so that as it ferments, the gases build up. We know how that works, right? And so the wineskin could expand with it. See, they would hold it in the wineskins temporarily. They carried it around with them so they could have it to drink, right? And then eventually the bigger portions would go into the wine barrels and all that. But if you took brand new wine unfermented and put it in an old wineskin, that old wineskin is already dried out brittle and cracked it had already been expanded if you put the new wine in there and it starts to ferment it's going to bust open that old wine skin so jesus is saying look you would all recognize this you can't take new wine and put it in an old wine skin new wine calls for new wine skin and here's theologically what he means the new wine very simply we can look at it at different levels but just very simply taking jesus at his word and what he truly means he is saying the new wine is the message of the gospel. It's salvation. Jesus really is the new wine. It's his message of the gift of salvation. But the new wineskin is no longer the the law. That's the old wineskin. It is now the grace of God, the new wineskin. He's saying, I've come to bring grace and freedom and joy, and that cannot be contained in the old law, in the old way. Because the old law and the old way are outdated. They're made inoperable. I've come to fulfill it. I cannot mix the new with the old. See that? And I think what that means for us today is simply this as well, that we live in an age of relativism, don't we? People will just say, it's okay, whatever you believe. And often, but one of the greatest lies of our enemy is to confuse people and make them think they can take a little bit of what the Bible says. They like a little bit of Jesus and Mix it with this philosophy or that world religion and come up with your own belief system. Jesus says, um, I don't give you that option. He's really saying the newness, the new covenant in my blood, it's exclusive. Now look, that, that's kind of like a bad word, right? We don't want to come across as exclusive, like we have the truth and you don't. But that is the truth. And the world without Christ does not have the truth. But our world, and again, it's a deception of Satan, to make it sound like as Christians, when, when we're proclaiming the gospel of love and peace and freedom, that, that Christ died for all and all are welcome to come for those who receive Him in faith, it makes us sound like we're bigoted, like we're closed-minded. That's what the world thinks so much about the church. They might like Jesus and some of His teachings. Well, He's a good teacher, good rabbi, good morality. He helped the poor. He did that. But Jesus didn't give the option and just say, kind of take what I'm saying and take what you like and, and do with it what you will. He said, did he not say very clearly that the only way to the Father is through me? I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I am a way. He didn't say, I am a truth or I am a life you can choose. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what do we do with that, church? We don't want to come across as saying, we have it and you don't. We know it's true, but we come across with love and compassion and mercy. It's like we always say, we are the beggars who have found bread. I've been saying the last few weeks, just showing the other beggars where to find the bread. Remembering who we are, right? We were once slaves to sin and now we're not. There used to be a bumper sticker that said, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. It's true, right? But yet we know that Christianity in its truest form untainted is completely exclusive why because jesus says you cannot mix what i am bringing with anything else 
This is a brand new way. Jesus said, I'm that way. Ephesians 3, 16 to 19. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit. Where? In your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The old symbolism of the law became fulfilled in the life of Christ. See, the old practice of sacrificing animals and lambs to atone for people's sins was no longer adequate because the perfect and faultless Lamb of God arrived who would make Himself be the perfect sacrifice. The priestly system was no longer needed. Why? Because we have a great high priest. And now we are called the priesthood of believers. It's no longer about written commandments on stone, but commandments that God writes on our hearts of flesh. It's no longer about just knowing about God. Now it's about knowing God. It's no longer about keeping rules, but living in a relationship It's no longer, listen church, about a God who's out there, but a God who lives in here. His mercies to us are new every day. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end, and they are new every morning. And great is your faithfulness. Every morning we wake up, God has something new for us. Do you remember what He told the people about the manna in the wilderness? He told them, take as much as you need, you and your family, but don't take more. Don't try to save it overnight for the morning. And some, of course, disobeyed. And what happened? It was spoiled and rotten. Why? Because they disobeyed. But what was he trying to get across here? He says, I'm the God of new things. You need me every day. You need a fresh dose of God every day. We wake up and say, yesterday's manna is no good for today. How will God bless you today? The prayers you prayed yesterday, pray new prayers today. Pray them throughout the day, and if the Lord blesses and gives you a new day tomorrow on Monday, you praise God for His new mercies. You see, God is the God of new things. But here's the second thing about wine and wineskins. The last thing that I wanted to show. Wineskins were made not for saving and holding on to the wine, but really for pouring. The way they were designed... They were designed almost with like a spout on it to be poured out. See, the wineskins were made for a temporary holding place so they could carry it around and use it. But really, essentially, it was designed to pour out. So they put the wine in there, it fermented. They designed it in such a way so it could easily be poured out. Let us not lose that illustration. It was not made for preserving, but pouring. Our hearts... We're never made for just a storage facility of the gospel. To just get it and lock it away. I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm sure many of you have some kind of storage facility, right? For all your important stuff that you need all the time, right? And you put it away in the storage facility. It's like saying, yeah, some of us as believers, we're, re- we're saved. We're made new in Christ, but then we just kind of hold on to it and we lock it away. God is good for me and, and that's it. See, but that's not what we were made for. That's not what our new hearts of flesh replaced by the replaced from the hearts of stone, our new hearts of flesh filled, right? Indwelt by the Holy Spirit is to what? To pour out, 
Don't we talk about here at Trinity all the time about learning and growing and serving? Why? Because when we learn, church, we are learning the knowledge about who God is and who we are. We open the Bible, we study together. And then through that knowledge, we grow. But then what is the natural outpouring is that we serve. We bless others in the church and outside in our community and our families. We bless others. Why? Because we are to be, look, not a, restorage, uh, not a storage facility, but more of a receptacle that it comes in and it flows out. A conduit for God's love and grace and mercy. So the Holy Spirit is not given to us by God at that moment of salvation just to dwell in us for us not to share. But we're supposed to be pouring it out. And that's the image of the wineskin, see? Not made to hold it permanently, but made in such a way that it can easily be poured out. They were meant to be filled. So church, we are meant to be filled by the Spirit so we could then serve others and pour out His love and mercy what does Paul say in 2 Timothy 4.6? He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Towards the end of his life, he's saying, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. He's saying, my life has been about this. God blesses me. The Lord Jesus called me as an apostle. Bring the gospel to the Gentiles. But I just want to keep pouring it out. He gives and I give. He blesses and I bless. Church, that's what we're supposed to do. We don't hold on to it. We don't hold on to life in Christ like this. We hold on like this. If we hold on like this, what happens? First of all, we get really tight and we move from ownership to possession. That's not good. But if our fists are clenched, we cannot receive more blessing from the Lord. If we live like, like, like this, church, and what happens? We can freely accept it, we can freely give it, and we can freely receive more. We're just passing it on. That's what we are called to do as we are filled with the Spirit. Paul even says it. Titus 3, 5 and 7, how about this? It says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, no, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, we are people of hope. Are we not? In, we are, right? In Jesus Christ, we are people of hope and peace and joy and love. So we represent that to a world, a world that is broken, a world that, is, that knows only strife, a world that is hopeless without Christ. But God chose the church as His instrument to bring the Gospel and the good news of Jesus to the world around us. So, we are to recognize that in Christ there is new wine. It is grace, not the law. There is a new wine skin. It is not works, but it is a gift. Right? And so we are no longer under the law, but in the age of grace, we have been saved. So in a sense, the Spirit in us is new wine in us, but we, in a way, are the new wine skins. So we cannot mix the old with the new. Jesus was saying, you can't, I'm not going to just add a little bit to Judaism. Remember in Acts, we talked about the Judaizers. They were believers and followers of Christ who said, yeah, but all these Gentiles who believe in you, Jesus, they got to, they got to become Jewish first, then they can become a Christian. And Paul was like, what do you mean? And they said, well, you have to be circumcised and follow all the laws. Then you're a true Christian. And Paul said, that's not the true gospel. That's a false gospel because that's a gospel of works. And if you, if you say it's Jesus and 
then it's not the gospel. You see that? If it's grace and, it's not the gospel. So this is how Jesus responded to the scribes when they asked about him eating with sinners and not fasting. Jesus said, I, I, I really have come to set them free. I have new wine. There's new wineskins. Those leaders, the religious leaders, were leading people into bondage. But Jesus came to bring freedom. Moses before Pharaoh was a foreshadow of this. Moses as a type of Jesus. He says, let my people go. Set them free. Why? They were in bondage. Back then, it was Pharaoh and the Egyptians. In Jesus' day, it was the Pharisees and the religious leaders. But what does it look like today for us? See, Jesus has offered new life in Him. He brought new wine. Freedom, salvation, and joy, and new wineskins, grace and not the law. New wine is salvation by grace. New wineskins, the age of grace and not the law. The old traditions cannot be contained. And you know what? We talk about all the traditions. See See the Jews at the time, the religious leaders, you remember what they did? They took the law, that was good, that God gave them, and they added all of these man made traditions. And they held it against the people as if it was the very law and word of God. And Jesus is saying, you cannot take those traditions and impose them upon my people because I have come to set them free. Perhaps, perhaps there are traditions and old ways that you're holding on to, even as a follower of Christ, that have, not, that have kept you from experiencing the freedom in Him. Maybe it's something you were taught in an old church. Maybe it's a part of the way you were raised or brought up in Christ and there's some things that are still holding you back from experiencing the true freedom that Christ brings. Freedom to worship Him as the Spirit leads. Freedom to read and to learn and to grow and the freedom to express your faith the way the Spirit leads you. Church, we are free and we are new in Christ. Let us not or anybody else hold us to traditions that may hold us back from being those new people that we are. So finally we say this, let us embrace the newness that God always offers, the freedom and the joy. We need to engage with the sanctifying spirit, uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit by putting off the old self and embracing the new. Jesus says to us this morning, look, I am doing a new thing. He says it in Revelation. It's applicable to us today. It says in that passage in Ephesians when he says, look, uh, in Isaiah, I should say, he says, I'm about to do a new thing. You know what he says? I'm going to make rivers flow in deserts. And I'm going to make a path in the wilderness. So Christian, he can make rivers flow in your life. In deserts of depression and desperation and loneliness and confusion. He can make paths in the wilderness of dysfunctional relationships and broken hearts. Why? Because He is the God of new. God can make rivers flow. Rivers of life where there is no life. See, you are new. So live as a new creation. Live as that masterpiece. That temple of God. The old has gone, church. So you know what we need to do? Let it go. Go ahead, sing that song in your head if you want. Let it go. It's applicable to today. Let it go, let it go. The old is gone, the new has come. Embrace the new life in Christ. And as we had the privilege of dedicating a new life to the Lord and her parents, we thank God for newness. Because spiritually, He has given us 
a new life. Let's embrace it and live it out, church. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for us. And then our worship team is going to lead us in a time of extended worship. So I'd simply just say this. After I pray, stay as long as you want and enjoy the worship. If you need to leave or at any part uh, from the beginning or throughout any time of the worship, you are free to do so. Just please leave quietly. The doors will remain closed and you can have a time of fellowship in the, in the, in the, um, in the lobby. But we're just going to create this space in here as a time of worship. If you feel the need to pray for somebody, feel free to get up and go pray for a friend or a family member. Ask somebody to come pray for you. You can just stay right where you are, seated, standing, whatever, and just worship as the team leads us in a song. And we'll just do that as long as the Spirit leaves. But again, feel free to leave as you need to. Just do so quietly and, and, um, and um, we'll just say, Lord, bless you, and that we'll see you during the week. But let me pray for us now and pray us into our final time of worship. Father, you are amazing the way you reveal yourself to us in your word. And your word is living and it is active. God, how many times do we come to your word and we read the same thing over and over, but yet it feels so new because it is alive. And we thank you that you are a God who is not dead, but you are alive. Hallelujah. Because we know that we are alive in Christ. Through his resurrection, we have been made alive. And Lord, we thank you for that. At salvation, we are made alive and given new life. Help us to embrace it. But each and every day, God, know that your mercies are new every day, that you have new manna for us every day. God, we don't want to hold on to that old manna. We don't even want to just hang our hats on old blessings, recognizing them and what you have done in our lives. But God, to move forward, to look forward to new and exciting and amazing things that you and amazing God are going to do in our lives. Thank you for creating us as a new masterpiece. So even as we sing that you have resurrected us, you are continuing to raise us to new life each day. May we accept it. May we know it. May we embrace it and may we live it out. But ultimately, God, so that you are the one that gets all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship.